The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Hey, church. How you doing? Good. Praise the Lord. All right, so, um, so today Jesus says to us in the text, um, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Have you given much thought to who your enemies are? Uh, we're we're going to have to think about it here this morning, but I would suspect that we don't give a lot of thought to it. An, an enemy by uh, definition is uh, someone who feels hatred for, fosters harmful designs against, engages in antagonistic activities against another, an adversary or opponent. Now, by that definition, the list of who our enemies are could actually be long. Uh, for, for me, it could actually include my sons anytime I play Settlers of Catan. Or uh, anyone really at Dutch Blitz, correct, Hillary, correct? Uh, there are no friends at the Dutch Blitz table. Uh, there are only enemies and adversaries and people who oppose you who are standing in the way of your victory. Uh, so, so listen, uh, by the definition, as we try to sort out who our enemies are, we recognize the list is probably broader then we first think. I mean, by that definition, the list could be long. You decide. Let's uh, look up at the screen for a second. You decide um, whether these people are your enemies. Uh, first of all, is this man your enemy? You don't need to necessarily answer audibly. How about how about how about him? Was he was he your enemy? Was he our enemy? What what about that difficult neighbor you have? He blows snow onto your driveway. His grass clippings are on your side of the property. He, he's, he has parties late into the night. Uh, that guy. Uh, what about your mother-in-law? Is, is mine here today? <laughs> she is. That's awkward. Uh. <laughs> How, how about a thief? How about someone who, who violates your property or your person? Or, or uh, how about an unreasonable boss? This was submitted by my staff. Uh, or, or our bullies, are they your enemy? Or governments that restrict the activities of the church, are, are they necessarily in such an adversarial role to the church? Are they the enemy of the church? Um, or what about Satan himself? That's uh, from the, the Bible miniseries. Other depictions of Satan were just entirely too creepy to put up here. Is he, is he your enemy? You see, uh, in some of these, we are more convinced than with others. But all of them really could fit the definition of who our enemy is. So, so now tell me the question, tell me the answer to the question. Am I really supposed to love my enemies? In the way that Jesus is describing here in the passage. 
Because he says, in essence, he says, if you follow me, if you love me, Jesus says, you'll love my, you'll love your enemies, you'll love them. So today's passage is really about getting clarity on all of that. Let's read it together. This is Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verses 27 through to 36. Jesus says, "I, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. Our God and Father, um, as we approach your word, we understand that uh, uh, the Bible tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And God, in a moment like this, when we get your word open, we need your Holy Spirit. We need him to explain, to help us understand, to help us believe, to help us be convinced of and convicted of these truths that we'll look at together. And so come Holy Spirit and do just that for us right now. Show us how to live out these truths uh, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. All right. If you love Jesus, if you love Jesus... You'll love your enemies. You must, you must love them. That's the, the first command that comes driving at us in this text. You must love them. It can't get any clearer than what it says in the first part of verse 27. But I say to you, um, you who hear, if you hear me right now, uh, those who were with Jesus on that day, they heard him. If you can hear me, the command is this. Love your enemies. I want us to keep working on the definition of enemies because I, I want us to understand, really, are we including the ISIS fighters? Are we including Adolf Hitler in this? Are we including the most difficult people in our lives in that list of enemies? And um, really three categories of enemies. Let's look at these. Uh, first of all, category number one, uh, we'll call these the, uh, the no-love enemies. No love enemies. Uh, Jesus is not talking about these enemies. The no love enemies include um, a Satan and demons. No, no love for Satan. Uh, Jesus is not commanding us to love Satan here. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear something 
uh, so life-altering and earth-shattering and mind-blowing. Went to church today. Pastor told us not to love Satan. It's helpful, right? We could just close off right now and you say, I got something out of today's message. Uh, no love enemies, Satan, demons, self-explanatory. Uh, God's going to take them down. Everyone cheers. Amen. Amen. God's going to take them down. No love. That's not who Jesus is talking about here. Uh, secondly, um, let's talk about tough love enemies, uh, tough love enemies, uh, Hitler, ISIS, Anyone who tears at the fabric of morality in this world and threatens the well-being of others. The ethic that we would believe in would be compelling us to act in such a way to defend the helpless from evil enemies. True? Uh, Defend them. And um, I love what Rick Warren tweeted this week. Uh, So clear. Uh, Echoes of Bonhoeffer here. ISIS is evil. You don't ignore evil. You don't negotiate with evil. Good people stop evil. How about I say it all again? Y'all can respond in an appropriate way. Uh, ISIS is evil. You don't ignore evil. You don't negotiate with evil. Good people stop evil. That's right. That's right. And and also, I would include in here in the tough love, uh, we would admit that we, you know, let's just rewind in history. We would all admit that we showed Hitler a little tough love. True or false? We showed him tough love because that was a moral fight, a moral, an evil that was in this world. And so we might also put into that category kind of in a less global type sense, anyone who's breaking into your home and threatening your family, they deserve tough love. All right. Um, uh, Anyone who is an abuser in your life, you don't have to turn the other cheek in these Cases. What they're doing is illegal, and each of these kinds of enemies forfeits their right to freedom because they're breaking the law, or might even, in the case of some foreign enemy, such as ISIS, uh, they may forfeit their lives because of their aggression. And we don't have time to look at the passage, but you can jot down Romans chapter 13 and the first four verses there uh, really are the justification for a government's. Uh, Phrase there is the government, uh, the authorities that God establishes do not bear the sword in vain. Uh, God gives us the uh, governing authorities to maintain order, to maintain righteousness in the world. And so uh, those would be in the category of tough love enemies. And then a third category. I will call this the lots of love enemies. Um, Jesus had just talked about it. We always want to interpret scripture with scripture. That sounds like a good rule. If we're trying to understand what a particular passage is about, what a particular verse means, we would want to look at the verses around it, the near context uh, to determine exactly what that means. And in this particular situation, Jesus is in this sermon. We started it last week with the Beatitudes and the woes. We're continuing on in the same sermon on the plain in Luke 6 here. And um, as we think about who are the enemies that Jesus is precisely talking about? Are there any clues in the rest of this section? And what we might remember from last week, if you look uh, particularly at verse 22, uh, here's what it says. Blessed are you when people, tell me if this doesn't sound like someone who's an enemy. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil. Notice, 
on account of the Son of Man, because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So as we, we're, we're trying to mind down exactly who these enemies are, the big clue is right here that for sure these persecutors of the, of the church uh, could be classified as enemies. Not only of the church, but to us personally. And they are. But the world's way of dealing with someone who hates them uh, needs to be in sharp contrast to the way that we as the followers of Jesus Christ might treat such people. That's what Jesus is driving toward. So this is really about all the people in your life. What Jesus is saying when he says love your enemies is he's talking about all the people in your life who make life a little more challenging for you. A little more difficult to live. And so, for sure, those who persecute you, those who simply hate you for your faith, or, or those who are a relational challenge to you. And so that could include, not in my case, my mother-in-law, for sure not. But in certain cases, it could be any number of family members for you. A child, a parent, a cousin, a brother, a sister. Who is it? Who makes life difficult for you? Is it someone at work? Is it, is it a neighbor? Who are those people? They fit into this lots of love enemies category. Or, or people who simply, they don't make life difficult for you, but, but they just don't like you. You have people like that in your life, they just don't like you. And they fit into this category of enemies that Jesus is talking about. Maybe you wouldn't use the word enemy, but Jesus is using the word to refer to anyone like this. And he's calling us to love them. So what does that love look like? It's described in the next three commands, which are all essentially saying the same thing. They're all saying, love your enemies, just in three different ways. First, uh, do good to them. Do good to them. Uh, uh, Verse 27, the latter part there, do good to those who hate you. Again, that's exactly the same as saying love your enemies. But now a little bit more practical. It's a pretty action-oriented when he says do good. In fact, when we talk about the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, those of you who know uh, bits and pieces of Greek words, the original language that the New Testament was written in, you'll know that this kind of love is the agape love. And uh, that kind of love is not a feeling love at all. It's not an emotional love at all. I don't feel agape love. I choose to act uh, in a loving way. That's what agape love is. It's it's an act of my will. It's a very action-oriented, volitional, I choose to kind of action. And that's what we're talking about in this whole message. Not feeling love, but action. And so the Old Testament actually gives us a couple of clues here of to what this looks like towards our enemies. What does it mean to love people in this way or to do good to them? Uh, here's a couple of verses. Um, this is from the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 23, four, 4 and 5. Very, very practical. This is going to be so helpful to us. If you meet your enemy's ox, you know, like you're driving down the road. There's old Cyrus in the road, right? 
He's just in the way. And, and what are you going to do? Or you see his donkey going astray. I mean, how many times, if I could count how many times that happens to me in a week, right? <laughs> that I see my neighbor's donkey going astray. You, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burdens, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You're not just going to walk by the way when, when your neighbor's donkey, your enemy's donkey's having trouble. Uh, you shall rescue it with him. Very practical. Verse, tw- uh, verse uh, chapter 25 of Proverbs. Let's look at this now. Verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, oh, this might be a little more practical, uh, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Okay, now, let's take the principle off of this, because for sure, my neighbor does not own an ox named Cyrus, and uh, there are no donkeys in my neighborhood. But here's the rough equivalence. Boosting their car when the battery is dead. Helping them to change the flat. Um, um, Bringing back their stray dog, rather than gassing it because it barks so much (laughs) constantly really not that that's a personal issue for me (laughs) returning mail that ends up in your box retrieving their garbage pail that blows down the street blowing out their driveway just because you can In other words, you're going to look for very practical ways to serve people who give every indication that they hate you. We're going to go above and beyond to do things uh, that other people would not do for someone in such a situation. That's what those two Old Testament uh, passages would point us toward. That's what it means to, uh, to do good to them. Or to love your enemies. And secondly, this command, bless them. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Now this has less to do with actions and more to do with words. Because this now has to do with cursing. Your enemy is cursing you with his or her words. But you're going to respond with words that bless. And it's so easy to get into situations that become heated. Tell me if this isn't true. Where the other person is coming at you with both guns a-blazing. And saying hard things, and the volume is increasing, and the intensity is, is, is increasing, and you feel that the only way that you can get your uh, voice heard is by raising your uh, vocal level, by getting more intense with them, by using harder words, by jumping in on top of what they're saying. And what Jesus is saying here is we have to back off from that kind of situation. We're not going to return curse for curse, but we're going to return blessing on top of curse. No swearing at them. No angry words toward them. No gossiping about them. No slanderous accusations. No cutting comments. Just affirmation. And sincere compliments, not flattery. Friendly greetings. We're going to bless them and not curse them. I think about some of the ways that this can happen. First of all, every other driver around the city is not your enemy. Oh, did I hit a chord with some people here? Right? 
Though I sometimes see it that way because I have an objective in mind. I'm leaving my driveway. I need to get uh, to the office. And, and it seems like, tell me if this isn't true for you, that everybody else in the road is an enemy uh, on the objective to get to the office. True or false? Right? They're an enemy. They're in the way. You idiot. Why didn't you turn at the light? Why are you in my lane? That guy who goes in the right lane to go straight and blocks you from turning right. (laughs) Preach, right? Preach, brother. Love your enemies. I'm not saying they're not your enemy. They are in some sense, in that broad sense of who they are in your way. But listen, now I'm going to respond in a way. I'm going to bless them. tough the person (laughs) so many examples from my own life um the customer service person on the other end of the phone bell rogers take your pick it doesn't matter do not you have to work yourself up to make a phone call to one of those companies true or false it's just like it's craziness and and we perceive them to be the enemy Well, if they are, and if you decide they are, and they fit the definition, bless those who curse you. (laughs) Giggles from the background. (laughs) All right. And then, now we're getting really intense. Pray for them. I mean, it's so hard to be mad at people. It's so hard to hate them. When you pray for them. Prayer completely alters your perspective. And Jesus says here, pray for those who abuse you. Now, prayer of this kind presupposes that you're in a right relationship with God in the first place, that you have your priorities straight, and thus you're able to intercede for someone else. I mean, you have to be in a pretty good place with the Lord to be able to take the names of your enemies and lift them up before the Lord in a, in a positive and, and blessing-oriented way. I mean, you have to be in a place where you're saying, God, I trust you with all of the circumstances of my life. There's nothing I don't trust you with. I know you're going to work out everything in my life for good. Even these relationships, even with people who seem to hate me and who abuse me. Even with these people, God, I trust you completely. You see, really, when we go after our enemies in an ungodly way, we're saying we don't trust God with the circumstance and we're taking it all into our own hands to deal with. The prayer then signals my dependency on God. And and by the way, what you're asking for when you pray is not, you know, kind of in the, you read the Old Testament Psalms and there was these imprecatory Psalms, you know, God rained down fire from heaven on my enemies. There I prayed for them. (laughs) No, no, that's not what we're talking about here. God, I pray that you would prosper them. I, I pray that you would make good things 
come to them. I pray that they would be in a good place. I pray that they would enjoy life. I pray that they would experience your favor in their lives. Again, you're trusting God with all of this. And Jesus is telling us to pray for them. He knows best for them and for us. And so we trust him with all of that. And so four commands. If you love Jesus, you're going to love your enemies. Do good to them, bless them, pray for them. And then Jesus gives four examples. Because I have a feeling at this point, and I think it's true here, because you're kind of hearing what I'm saying and you're getting the command part of it. I, I hear what Jesus is saying, but I remain somewhat unconvinced that this is the best way to live my life. And Jesus had to have been seeing this in the eyes of uh, the people he was speaking to, because then he says, okay, let me give you some examples of this. Uh, you must love your enemies, um, even when you've been spoken evil of. You mean I have to love someone who speaks evil of me? Yes, Jesus answers their objection before they even raise it. Yes, even when someone speaks evil of you. Verse 29, the one who strikes you on the cheek. The one who strikes you on the cheek. Now, that certainly has the idea of physical assault. Can I get an, uh, just a volunteer up here for me to slap for a second? No, it's all right, David. I'm just kidding. Dad, I would never hit you. <laughs> Or anyone to the one who strikes you on the cheek. There is a little bit of this idea of physical assault here, but more in the sense of, and this is the expression that we would use that comes out of this is that was such a slap in the face. Now, when we say that, we don't actually mean a slap in the face, do we? It's a a euphemism for, um, I was so insulted by that. It was such such a slap in the face. Someone... In this case, has spoken evil of you. And Jesus is saying, even when someone is cruel with their words, you're supposed to love them and offer the other also, he says. In other words, be prepared to take another insult. Don't think that you're so awesome that you can't live through a little insult, a little a little verbal injury coming your way. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't respond in kind. And then Jesus says, even, even when you've been taken advantage of, verse 29, he continues, and from the one who takes away your cloak, this is the, the outer garment, this is a thief, someone's come and taken something from you. And, and in the first century, the, 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 the cloak, what they wore on the outer garment, that was such a critical piece of clothing. Generally, people, most people would have had one of these. I mean, I look in my closet, I probably own 15 coats of various kinds. People in the first century would have had one This is something that is taken, that is so important to a person and worth a lot. And this thief has come and taken it. And and Jesus is saying, do the outrageous thing and and don't withhold your tunic either. In other words, give them uh, the, the, the undergarment as well. Give them your normal clothing. Give them more than they're asking for. And what this is, I just wrote down here in my notes, shock and awe, baby, shock and awe. We're trying to take someone who's abusing us, taking advantage of them, and get their attention for the sake of the gospel. He 
He keeps going. Even when you're begged from, you must love. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. Everyone who begs from you. It's a a bit of overstatement. I hope it's okay to say that Jesus used figures of speech to make his point. He used metaphors and similes and examples and all of this. He's just used a euphemism in, in terms of the the slap in the face comment. And so here he's using, this is an outrageous comment. And it isn't like we're going to, you know, there's, there's homeless people in the city of Barrie and there are some people who beg, although not that often in the city. But if you go down to the city of Toronto and if you work down there regularly and you walked by certain streets, literally, if you were to give to everyone who begged, you'd be begging beside them tomorrow. Correct. I mean, just so many. And so Jesus is really, in, in essence here, he's overstating the, to, to make the point. He's overstating to make the point. He, he wants us, and I love what the ESV study Bible, if you, some of you are following along there, in the notes there, it says that what he wants us to be is generous to a fault. And so many of us are not generous at all. That we would always, on every occasion, walk by the beggar in the streets. And if you never have it on your heart to help somebody who's destitute, that's a problem. And in essence, what we're doing is we're cursing them. We're looking at them as being an enemy. And this is so particularly true in the Western world where we have this elevated sense of a work ethic where we believe so firmly that uh, that guy clearly has done something wrong. He is not working. He is not pulling his weight. I have a job. I'm working hard. I'm paying my bills. I'm pulling my weight in society. What's wrong with that guy? And we make him out to be an enemy as well. And he's a man enemy because he's asking us for our hard-earned money. I worked for that, buddy. What have you done? And Jesus is saying, he's not your enemy. Or if he is, you're supposed to love him anyway. And Jesus is just saying it's just the right thing to help people. To love them. Now, we believe in a strong work ethic. There's great biblical uh, counsel on that. You can jot down the reference again. No time to look at it, but you can look at this. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. If a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. We know the biblical principles here, but there are still people that ought to receive our help. And it's the right thing to do to love on them. Love for others means that we help those in needs when that need is legit, even if we can't determine if they actually deserve it. It doesn't matter. We're doing this by grace. And so we need to love our enemies even when we've been spoken evil of, taken advantage of, begged from, and stolen from. Verse 30, the latter part there is really a restatement of what we already looked at. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as I think about all of this, it's a, it's a crazy high standard. I mean, some years ago, I was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I used this phrase, which I had read from uh, Philip Yancey, though I don't think he claims it for himself. I think he heard it elsewhere. But it's this phrase to describe what we're talking about here. This ridiculously high standard is, he called it the radically dissimilar life. The radically 
dissimilar life. It describes what Jesus is telling us here about what the life of a Christ follower is really like. It's to be radically dissimilar from anything else that we would ever find in the world. It should be strikingly different. And I think that you would admit that what we've just looked at qualifies as radically dissimilar. There aren't a lot of people who don't love Jesus who are looking at this material and going, that's the way I need to live my life. Only a Christ follower would really think this way. (coughs) Unless you really love Jesus, you simply wouldn't choose to live like this. And the thing is, when I look back on these four commands and examples, I... Here's the thing, I, I see exactly what Jesus did for us. I mean, do you see that? I mean, he was spoken evil of. He was taken advantage of. He was begged from. He was stolen from. I mean, Jesus is this this superior, ultimate example of one who loved his enemies. And he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. He isn't asking us to do anything that he didn't remarkably exemplify when he went to the cross for us. I think about him on the cross. Nailed there his blood being shed for us, having already been beaten, abused beyond anything that any of us would ever face. Think about some of the things he said when he was on the cross. This, this, these two criminals, one speaking evil toward him, the other one a little bit more conciliatory. The gentleness with which he treated him. He was, after all, a criminal. He was guilty of what he was doing. And yet Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Just words of blessing. As he's hanging there on the cross, his his mother and the disciple John come up to him. Now the text has already told us that all of his disciples scattered. That would include John, by the way. And yet there he was, now that Jesus is on the cross. There's no anger that comes from Jesus. There's no words of chastisement. He looks at Mary. He looks at John, and he's thinking now, (coughs) excuse me, of his responsibility as the firstborn. Presumably his father had already died, Joseph. And he says to Mary, Mary, mother, behold your son. And he says to John, John, behold your mother. In other words, John, he's dying on the cross. John had abandoned him. Would you take care of my mom for me? And then the words that are the most remarkable words, I think he speaks from the cross. Just before this is recorded for us in in Luke 23, 
We know that the soldiers were mocking him. We know that the religious leaders had shown up at the cross and they were mocking him. We know that just hours before, perhaps, the crowd had called for his crucifixion, crucify him, crucify him. And they were all there, presumably standing around watching the whole spectacle. And just after they lift him up on the cross, he looks out on that crowd and he says, Father, forgive them. For they just don't know what they're doing. It's just love, 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 blessing. That's all that comes out from him in the face of all of these different categories of enemies that were in front of him. Despite the unrelenting attacks of his enemies and even at the cost of his own life, Jesus loved them. Jesus loved us. Because we were in the crowd, weren't we? Now, I love that he's not just commanding us without reason. He's not just telling us what to do without giving us a rationale or even, I might even put it this way, a motivation to do what we do. And so... Jesus says, love your enemies, but not simply because he's laying this harsh and unreasonable rule on us, but because, notice, that's what we'd want for ourselves. I mean, if someone else is perceiving us as an enemy, and that's entirely possible, I I want this other person to treat me in a certain good and godly way. And this is what's known, verse 31, as the golden rule. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. And this is really an appeal to logic. It just makes sense for us to live this way. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, even among those who are not fond of Jesus and his world, those who would be of his word, even those who would just be moralistic kind of people, there's almost universal acceptance of this maxim. The maxim of reciprocity. If you're the enemy of another person, you'd want them to treat you with this kind of radical, outrageous love and respect. And so Jesus tells us we need to have this as a governing principle. This needs to be part of our motivation and rationale for living in this way. Because we'd want others to treat us this way. And beyond that, we love in this way because that's what actually impacts the world. We've gathered today as the church, not just to be built up inside of ourselves, not just to be encouraged, but that's part of it for sure. But but we want to come here, excuse me, to be charged up to go out and impact the world. Look at verses 32 and 34. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that? To you, for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
Now, the whole way here, he's just setting up a contrast between the way that Christ followers do things and the way that those who don't love Jesus, those in the world, do things. And he's saying we have to have a much higher standard. And when we have that standard, not only is that a benefit to us, but listen, that's going to be an impact on the world because they're going to see something that's unusual in us. This is the difference between us and the world. It's love. that We do things differently, radically, outrageously so. What we're demonstrating is the Father's love for us. What we're demonstrating is our love for one another in the family of God. What we're demonstrating is an extraordinary love for the world, for those who are perishing and without Christ in all of this. It's love like this that alone saves. A couple of verses. <coughs> First Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving one another. John 13, 35. By this will all persons know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another it's love that is the defining characteristic of the people of god it's the love that we have for one another and the love we have for god and the love we have for the world that draws people into a relationship with him so that's why we would want to live this way and further uh, this is what brings reward Future, eternal reward. Verse 35, Jesus restates the initial command, but love your enemies. He reviews the whole thing here. Do good, lend expecting nothing in return. (coughs) Excuse me. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. (coughs) This is our inheritance as the children of God. Heirs of the kingdom of God. And if we're following Jesus Christ, if we're loving in the way that he's describing in this way, then we are demonstrating the reality of our faith. This radical love is the evidence. And it brings reward. A reward that God promises, a reward that transcends anything we could ever have in this life by taking matters into our own hands and living life the way we want to live it. And then finally, we love like this because this is what reflects the Father's heart. Verses 35, latter part there in verse 36, for notice, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And we can just put our own names in there, you know. Worthy ungrateful, worthy evil. Then the command again, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. At the end of the day, that again is the command to love your enemies. He's saying it over and over again in different ways. It's a command to be merciful, a command to not give a person, this is mercy. Mercy from God toward me is not getting what I do deserve. And when I'm merciful to a person who's my enemy, what I'm saying is, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what God said I ought to give you. And that is his love and my love. 
Because we don't deserve God's love. We receive all that God gives us because of his mercy. That's the Father's heart. Jesus' mercy, his love never ending toward us. And that has to be our heart as well. Now, this is one of these messages. Listen to me now. Don't you think that this is one of those messages where God's going to give you several opportunities this week to apply? This is so, so great about this. Our Uncommon Community curriculum just ended. You're going to be back in your small groups talking about this. And you're going to have lots of opportunity this week to say, you won't believe what happened on Sunday afternoon as I was driving away from the church. This is what happened when I went into work on Monday morning. This is what happened in our home. And God gave me an opportunity to love, quote unquote, my enemy. So are we going to step up to it? Are we going to love those who oppose us? Those who are the difficult people in our lives. Those who just don't like us. I love the song we sang earlier. It just gets our eyes completely on Christ. And the only way we're going to have success with all of this is if we just get our eyes on Jesus and see what he did for us. Amen. Treasure of greatest price. Healer giving me life. Faithful again and again. Jesus, your love never ends. It's who you are. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.